you're about to enjoy a free episode of The Dull Crayons. To support the show and earn cool rewards, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dullcrayons. When we hit 25 supporters, we will release the second set of Llama Llama Red Pajama Freestyles by yours truly and BX Tony, and you know you want to hear those. You can also support us by throwing us some star magic and writing a review on iTunes. And as always, stay dull, carry snacks. Good morning, boys and girls. Today, we'll be learning all about... Dull crayons. Box. We are the Dull Nubs. That's right. I am your loyal dullard, Gabriel Zuger, and I am joined today by uh, just about one of my favorite people, favorite co-hosts, favorite people in the world. Um, that, of course, being my very own father, uh, Il Papa, if you will, uh, the one, the only, David Zuger. David, how are you today? I'm fine. How come I only get to be a nub, though? Can I be at least half a crayon? Oh, well, you know, the, 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 the thing about the half crayon is there, there's, there, the half crayon only exists in, in breaking a crayon in half, you know? Then you got that clean break. It's not exactly dull. It's got that, like, weird edge around yeah. it. Um, you know, you know but, but the nub is the well-worn crayon. But when you, you get know? down to the little tiny nub, you know, then you, like, try to do something with it, and it goes skittering across the page, and it falls on the floor and would you uh, how about this would you, would i hate you the like nub to be, is what i'm like, trying to say would you like to be a crayon it's like the noid avoid the nud <laughs> um would you uh would you like to be a crayon pebble have you seen these these are the no these are, oh wait yeah yeah with different all different colors on them no 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 that's that's like a rainbow crayon but oh. I, i'm sure they come in that but this is a it's a pebble it's like a rock you can hold it in the palm of your hand oh. it's for it's for, for like sidewalks. small children and like cuz you know you know how small children have the fat crayon right it's even bigger than that oh. so you you really grip your whole fucking palm around it okay. and just sort of rub um, but you could be that it's it's quite dull okay. um, if if you would like okay it's it's meaty um, but anyway, anyway. We, we brought you on, speaking of meaty, we brought you on for perhaps the, the meatiest episode that we'll have yet. Um, I was just describing uh, to Wife of the Pod, Pauline, um, how really heartbreaking it was uh, the other day to even record with Willie on the car phone the uh, second and third job episode, um, talking about uh, wage inequity in teaching. Um and, and I was saying to her how that was probably the hardest episode we'd done since Welcome to the Gun Show. Um, but frankly, I've been preparing myself for this, uh, this fuckfest, uh, this just depressing, uh, destitute kind of episode for a long time. This being the, uh, the student loan debt episode. Um, this being the, the current crisis facing... Otherwise known I, as a journey to hell. <laughs> I want to say, I want to say this being a crisis facing facing millennials and Generation Y. But actually, I think the point that we're going to get to at the end of this episode is that this is a vicious cycle of a crisis that that not only affects directly millennials and Generation Y, but it indirectly affects boomers. 
the great generation. Like, every single facet of life is made worse by the fact that we have a student debt crisis uh, of, of mass, uh, critical mass. Would you, would you agree with that based on just your own cursory understanding of the subject? Yes. Okay. I'm, beginning to, I'm beginning to think about just, yes, how far that goes. Yeah. Sure. So I want, I want to I wanna preview uh, the listener out there because this one's going to get really weighty and really upsetting really quickly. And I'm likely to uh, not only get tangential, but also become belligerent very soon. So I'd like to start off with sort of a table of contents of how we're going to uh, bring this one all about. Um, we'd like to start off by just going over some numbers, okay? Just like getting into the weeds about what, what the student debt crisis looks like and how it's affecting young Americans uh, all across the country. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how we got here, um, the background of it. Uh, in, in Chapter 3, we're going to be discussing some of the lies and some of the like magic tricks that, that politicians and people, um, you know, people in power try to play to make it seem like there isn't a crisis or like that this is just a natural course of events that we have to get through. And then finally, we're going to get to solutions or if you will, a, a final solution um, <laughs> of sorts. Um, but anyway, get uh, Holocaust. That's, that's probably going to be literally the last joke that I make on this episode. Cause it's, it's just going to get so much worse from here. So uh, David is going to start us off with some numbers. He's going to read now from Market Watch, who uh, I read a lot of their stuff on this topic, and usually they are complete fucking liars about everything they say. But in this case, they get it all right because their stats are coming from somebody else. So uh, take it away, David. How student loan debt affects the rest of your life, it's not pretty, by Andrew Keshner. Student loan debts are crippling the finances of Americans and seriously stressing them out, according to a new survey. It's no secret there are widespread hazards with hefty student loans, but a new report from Student Debt Crisis, a nonprofit organization, and Summer, a startup geared at helping student loan borrowers figure out repayment. Wow, we need. There's <laughs> enough of a market in repayment for there to be a startup geared at helping student loan borrowers figure out repayment. Think about that. Yeah, think about that. Paints a stark picture on just how crushing the obligations can be as Americans try repaying $1.5 trillion in student debt. The survey found 80% of participants with average debt loads of $87,500 versus average annual incomes of $60,000 said their student debt obligations prevented them from saving for retirement. So just just pause right there. So average average debt eighty eight thousand or eighty seven thousand, and Correct. average income sixty six. You said sixty thousand. Sixty thousand. I mean that's it in a nutshell, right? Like this is this is a debt that you're never going to pay off, and it's not like now now somebody right away might say, but Gabe, a mortgage is like a thirty year loan that you you're you're always going to make less than the 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 the, the, the amount that your house costs. Right. But you're never going to sell your degree and you're never going to sell your degree for a profit. It is not an investment. That's the lie. That's the first lie is that your education is an investment. It's actually not. If the case is that you're never going to be able to pay it. Okay, continue. Sorry. Although if the the interest rates on on your college debt were the same as the interest rates on home loans, it would be a lot better. It still wouldn't be. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. Well, yeah, we'll get to interest rates. Okay. 59% said they couldn't make large purchases because of their student loan bills, and 56% said they couldn't buy a home. Student loans were a major source of stress for 86% of the respondents, and one-third said student debt was the number one cause of their stress. Yeah. Monthly student loan payments topped expenses for necessities like food and health care, according to the majority of the 7,000 survey participants. Let's repeat that. Monthly student loan payments topped expenses for necessities like food and health care, according to the majority of the 7,000 survey participants. And once again... Wait, wait. 65% said their monthly student loan bills were bigger than their food budget. Yeah. 56% said their monthly student loan bills were more than health insurance. Yeah. Well, at least that makes it sound like health insurance is more affordable. It's frustrating and honestly makes no, me feel David, completely all, all defeated. No, people were on, were on uh, Medicaid, clearly, because they're know. below the poverty line. <laughs> it's frustrating and honestly makes me feel completely defeated, confessed Colleen from Pennsylvania. She was one of the people quoted in the report talking about their struggles after incurring debt to get a good education. Another woman in Texas, Melissa, said, Regularly, I contemplate selling everything and living in my car to help free up money to pay off the debt sooner. Right now, 44 million Americans are repaying an astounding $1.5 trillion in student debt. That debt number has skyrocketed, tripling since 2005. Okay, so here, so here's, so I want you to stop there, because this, this is actually exactly where we're going to stop with this article. I want you to stop there, um, and here's the number that I want you, David, and the audience at home to remember. I want you to remember 44 million. 44 million people across the country have student loans that they're paying off that amount to $1.5 trillion, okay? Remember that later. That's going to be important when people start lying about how many people hold these debts, about the kind of people that hold these debts, and about why they hold these debts. 44 million is how many, roughly, David, how, what percentage of the country? Um, I don't know. What is that? Like 15%, 20%? Yeah, yeah, it's between 10 and 20%, so I'd call it exactly 15%. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's 15% of the country. That's a big swath of the country. And mind you, mind you, let's, let's, let's just narrow, let's winnow that down a little bit, since we know that um, if you're in K-12 through education, or even if you're under 21, you pretty much can't have student debt, Correct. Because right. if, you're, if you're currently in school, you're not paying off your debt, so you don't even know what it's going to be. So really, let's cut a big, I don't know, $75 million off the top, and let's, uh, let's, say we're, let's play with some even numbers. Let's actually make it $200 million against uh, $50 million. so we'll say it's actually a quarter. It's actually a quarter right. it's of not, the educated population. And it's not just any quarter. It's the quarter... That is in supposedly its most buying, productive buying and most consum- consuming years. Yeah. So it's the quarter that is supposed to be active in the economy in ways that it can't be because they're home eating so ramen so they can afford to pay their monthly student debt bill. So let's speak to that. And let's also remember the quote that you just read about a woman saying she'd she constantly considers selling everything to live in her van down by the river and pay off her student loan debt. If only she could declare bankruptcy, that would be even better. Uh, This from CNBC. Thanks, Joe Biden. This from CNBC, May 22nd, 2018. 
student loan debt is a hurdle for many would-be mothers. Um, because of her student loans, Michelle Fernie Olay has put off children, for now. Fernie Olay, 33, and her 34-year-old husband, John, have been married for two years and live in New York. Oh yeah, by the way, Michelle, your window is really closing. So like, this is where it gets sad and problematic, right? She's already 33, husband's 34, and now they're putting off kids. She was a wedding planner, she is a wedding planner and owns her own business. He is a stagehand. Together they make more than six figures, but Fernie Olay is also paying back a loan tab that's just under 80 grand. So just right back in that wheelhouse that we said of 80 grand. Right, she's average. We discuss kids constantly, she said, but I can't imagine having a child when I have to pay over $600 per month just to my student loans. It's crippling, she said. Student loan debt in America has skyrocketed in recent years, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's not, oh, it is a burden that is not shared equally, largely because women outnumber the men in college these days and are more likely to pursue a graduate degree. They are the ones who end up with the bigger loan balances. In fact, 42% of women have more than 30000 in college debt compared to 27% of men. Women are also two times more likely than men to think it will take more than 20 years to pay off their to pay off their loans. Well, that's stupid. That's just about thought science. I have no idea what that is. But basically, uh, the point we want to take away here is that ki uh, uh, millennials and Gen Y are not having kids because yes. of their crippling Birth student loan prevention debt. As a, as, a, as a side effect of, of crippling debt. So now, in case you, in case you thought and, that yes. CNBC was not a credible source or that that one lacked... Uh, research and was anecdotal, this from Vox, who everybody likes. The historically low birth rate explained in three charts. So the fertility rate hit a historic low in 2017. Um, that's the first chart. Uh, wait, here we go. The fertility rate is an important measure of a country's well-being. When it's too low, countries worry that in the long term, they may not have enough healthy young workers to keep productivity up and the economy humming. Meanwhile, the birth rate, a birth rate that's too high can be a drag on resources. The replacement fertility rate of 2.1, that's optimal, right? 2.1. That way we're making as many slightly more than what already exists. But in 2017, the total fertility rate or number of births each woman is expected to have in their childbearing years dropped to 1.76 in the U.S. Um... Basically, uh, I could read on into this, but basically the point we want to make is that 2017, hmm, would that be around the time that uh, the student loan debt reached, trip, uh, tripled in size the way that you read in the first article? Might that be right around the time that about 39,000 eligible uh, uh, public service employees were denied student loan forgiveness? Um, even though they'd reached even the though they, right, even though they had met all qualifying factors, but you know the rug was pulled out from under them. I mean, these things are all connected. So as we said, David, the fact that this is happening to one specific generation still means still could be the end of the the entire country as we know it based on so Vox. so. There's not only such a thing as replacement birth rate. There's a, there's such a thing as the household formation rate, okay, uh, which you know about if you've read a lot of research of economic research on things like 
uh, home building, okay. which unfortunately I have as a professional requirement. And the, the household formation rate has been depressed ever since the uh, Great Recession, 2008-2009. Because, we, I mean, you know, we all know anecdotally, people are living in their parents' basement because they can't right. afford to get their own place. But right. this ties in with student debt as well. So household formation rate is low. People aren't moving out. People aren't getting married, living together, and people aren't having babies. So right. it's, all, it's all connected. Um, I would also point out that there's another connection, which is the woman in the article who can't face... The idea of having a child because she's got the six hundred dollars, the, the six hundred dollars. Right, she's <clears throat> probably also contemplating the fact that she's either going to have a, a reduction in her income when she has a child, right, which is going to hit her from the other direction, or she's going to have childcare costs. Well, exactly. It's it's that she's not going to be able to provide for her child. Period. Right. That's right. that's what it comes down to. It's not it's not so much. I can't bear the thought of it because I, I suffer from crippling depression because I think constantly about no, my no, student no, loan debt. No, no, it's, it's that it's, I'm not going to make it it's and the we're going to be destitute the and numbers. on the street. It's the sheer fucking numbers. But the reason I'm bringing that up is that we now have candidates in the presidential race who are talking about not only about student loan forgiveness, Sanders, Warren, I don't know who else, tackling yes, the student loan issue. Yes. But also, Elizabeth Warren is tackling the childcare issue from right. the other direction. So Correct. we have all these things in the mix at the moment. I, I would really feel bad about missing this opportunity if I didn't mention that we are recording on, uh, what is it, February 19th? That August day. February, yes. February 20th? What is today? I have no idea. Um, but this is the Tuesday that Bernie Sanders announced that he uh, already is president. <laughs> That's it. Um, uh, we wouldn't exactly call it a coup, a la Venezuela, but we would call it a sweeping yeah, I wonder victory. Why he, I wonder why he didn't take that the approach of the guy from Venezuela. Instead right? Why didn't he just call I'm up running, Nancy and say, "I want it. Give it to me now." Just recognize me. Yeah. <laughs> just recognize me. Stop recognizing that oaf, and we can do things. We're gonna work together, baby. Yeah. Nancy, over, baby, me. Works in Venezuela. Why not here? Yeah. Um, okay. But yes, Bernie. Bernie has announced all and, these democratic and, norms you speak of. And I and I and I I really only want to bring it up That's too so to say uh, obviously it is the official position of the Dahlkrans that we support Bernie Sanders in 2020. We also uh, we also have made a corporate donation to Bernie Sanders, um, and by corporate I mean grassroots. I mean I paid with my personal credit card. Uh, in the name of the Dolkrans, uh, and all of you should go out there and support him as well, and all of his policies. Uh, so you were mentioning uh, house household forming, household formation, yes. household formation. So uh, feeding right into that number uh, that you said is already in decline has been in decline since the recession. Um, would you then be surprised to find that an alarming percentage of divorcees say student loans ended their marriage? Hmm. This coming from businessinsider.com. Financial problems have long been a common cause of divorce. Actually, that's very factual. We always knew that. But there's a new money factor wrecking marriages that arguably wasn't a prevalent, uh, wasn't as prevalent a generation ago. Student loan debt. According to a new report by Student Loan Hero, 13% of divorced borrowers 
blamed their student loan debt for the dissolution of their marriage. This may come as no surprise in an age when student loan debt is on the climb. Then they do all the numbers that we've already done, so we're not even going to go there. Boy, there sure are a lot of student loan websites there are organizations, there are, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, for real. Uh, Damn. You, you came in here talking about uh, feeling like you were living back in the dot-com bubble just because of uh, subway ads. But yes, based on a number of startups and, and dot-coms that have nothing to do except for talk about student loan debt or like debt refinancing or whatever, like it's... It's uh, like, I mean, like we know, it's a big money business. Like, there's something to be gotten from this great hustle out there. Um, but so, I think this would be a good place to uh, pause and acknowledge our sponsors. Actually, I'm kidding. We don't have any sponsors. Um, to pause and let's do a little background on, on what student loans are and how we got here. Uh, would, you, okay. would you say that's okay? Would you say that's yes. fair? Okay, so we, we all know student loans are loans that you take out to pay for education, and then they accrue interest while you are in school. Wait, do they? No, they don't accrue interest while you're in school. They, they're flat. But then they start accruing interest. No, you're right. I think okay, you're right. okay. And then they start accruing interest the second that you're done. Um, and, and you have to start paying them back the second that you're done, after a, like, three-month grace period or something. But... What I think a lot of people forget is that because their student loan servicers are often people like the, uh, the late Sally Mae or the soon-to-be-late Navient, its replacement, or Great Lakes or any of these other uh, uh, servicers, that all student loans have a, a single mother. And that mother is actually the federal government. Federal government. Sorry, I swallowed my words there that the federal government actually backs all student loans. It's kind of like, uh, it, it, I mean, it feels to me a lot like, uh, uh, I just learned this word the other day uh, on the majority report, uh, like uh, monostony. Like there's a, there's a single buyer here. Monopsony. Monopsony, thank you, monopsony. Right. There's a single buyer here of all right. this debt, and that is the federal government. Right. And they hold all of it. And then, much like the healthcare system, they sort of have parsed it out among these like little subsidiaries, these little these little shell corporations like Navient, like Great Lakes. And when there's a single buyer, that means that entity sets the price. They set the price, right? But they they sort of I, this is where this is where I get lost because, and we're going to talk, and we we mentioned before we're going to talk about interest rates. This is where I sort of get lost because they are doing a really shitty job of setting the price in that the, it feels to me like the servicers are actually the ones that set the price because it's, it's the, it's the, it's the servicers that have anything to gain from setting the price at all, right? Well, I believe this is a case much like uh, what happens with, with Medicare and, and pharmaceuticals. Medicare is a huge buyer of pharmaceuticals. They could bargain hard and buy and say they're only paying X for, for, right. for, for each drug and save the taxpayers lots of money. Why don't they? Because Congress has said, no, you can't do that because Congress is in the pocket of 
big pharma, and they right. don't want that to happen. Right. So again, I think this is a case where the government, even though, as you say, it's providing the money, ultimately has given over the, has given the, over the pricing the, the, power the to, to private industry. Why? Right. Mm, because private industry has been lobbying them for years to do just that. Right. So, and they finally did it. Right. Yes. So now I let's talk. So then let's let's talk about interest rates because, like you said, um, these interest rates could be theoretically as low as uh, a housing loan, right? They could be as low as the Fed funds rate, which is practically zero. If right. They really exactly. It they to should be, be right. But yeah. Um, okay. But instead, <laughs> what we find now, I took out my loans. Um, sorry, I took out my sorry, loans. Fed funds rates about two percent, but still, it's pretty low. I took out my loans post uh, recession. I think they were uh, dispersed in two thousand eleven, um, which does make me eligible, uh, being post two thousand seven, for a uh, public service loan forgiveness. Should I ever reach that, uh, that ripe old age? Goal. Yes. Um, but it also makes me eligible for a like six to seven percent interest rate. Which is, insane. which is insane. So just to give a little background, because this is a personal issue to me, and I think that I think that in our history, in our uh, histrionic discussion here of it, I want to get a little personal anecdotally. So when I took out my loans, uh, they amounted to seventy-two thousand dollars flat, and and like we just said, I have a six point something, six point eight, I think, percent interest rate. Um, now, I have been paying them off over the course of the last five years um, through a number of different uh, income-driven repayment plans because if you know anything about the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, you have to be on an income-driven repayment plan to be eligible. You have to be making payments on one of those plans. So I've been making payments based on my income. Of course, we know from our previous episode that my income is also 20% less than anybody with, say, the same amount of student loan debt because being a teacher, you suffer a wage gap that is completely invisible to the rest of the nation. However, we'll move on from that and just say, I've been paying pretty low numbers monthly. Right. Roughly between uh, 350 and 450 a month over the past five years. David, what would you guess has happened to my student loan debt since then? Now, where did it start? It started at $72,000. Well, I'm going to say you're lucky if it hasn't actually increased. <laughs> David, it is almost $80,000 Oh, my now. God. It has gone up oh a full $5,000, even while I have paid off, I don't know, roughly like $20,000 in debt. Can you explain to me um, how this isn't a loan shark scam? Now, wait. Now Remember I when back. I said this is a journey to hell? Now, I want to go back. I want to go back and I want to invoke... Maybe uh, I was being too kind. <laughs> I want to invoke the, the, the Saint James Gandolfini into the room right now. Okay? James is here. Yes. And I want to remind you that um, the definition of a loan shark is somebody who gives you money that they know you can't pay back, that you'll never be able to pay back, right? And they're going to break your legs and take everything from you that's worth more than they, that you took in the first place, right? When James Gandolfini loans money to his friend, uh, his gambling-addicted friend who owns the sporting goods store, 
And uh, uh, the little, little is not Stevie, to get paid back. And little Stevie explains to him, aka Silvio, explains to him that the vig is added on to the principal. This, when you're watching, is cringeworthy because you know this is the moment when he's supposed to say, no, never mind. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Right. If you're going to add things to the principal balance, then I know I'm never going to get out from under this thing. But he takes it anyway. And I'm pretty sure he suffers for the next ruined. hour and a half. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's exactly what happens here, is your interest is added, is tacked onto the principal. So again... I will never get out from under this thing unless my loans are forgiven. That's period. Or unless a you start, full, paying, or unless you start paying $800 a month. Which I can't, which I, which again, I literally cannot afford. Right. Living in New York, and, and don't, don't even give me, don't come at me with the, uh, with who's the hat wearing fuck that uh, Chapo talks about all the time. Who says, oh, well, if you can't make enough money in your city, just move out of your city. I don't know. I don't remember. It's one of them. It's, it's one of the columnists that they yes. love to talk about. Right. But don't, don't come at me and tell me like, oh, well, just stop living in New York or just stop teaching. Like, no. No. Those are things I've chosen to do and I should be able to make a living doing them. But yes, I, I cannot pay <coughs> $800 a month and still pay New York rent and feed my wife and I. Um, let's get to her real briefly because <laughs> it only gets worse from there. She comes out because she went to an Ivy League school because she's smart. She comes out of her college experience with $130,000 that she's only just started paying back. Again, is there ever going to be a case in which somebody can pay that off with the, with the interest rate that we just discussed being tacked back onto the principal, paying it at an income-driven repayment plan, or even otherwise. There's no way to do it. And I'll tell you how I know, David, that there's no way to do it, because whenever I read these lying fucks like Mr. Wonderful or any of these economists who talk about like how to actually get out from under student loan debt, you know what the first thing they always say is? No. The first thing they always say is, just pay off a big chunk of it right now. Like, as though somebody has $40,000 to just pay off a big chunk of their student loan debt. It amazes me that there's anybody writing columns about how to get out from under your we're student actually loan debt gonna, because... We're actually going to get to some. <laughs> I'm shocked to find that that's true because I can't imagine what they say other than, you know, stop eating food. We're, we're definitely going to get to some, some scare tactics uh, played by the other side. Um, but so I think now that we've sort of discussed what this whole looks like, um, and I hope that you're still remembering all the numbers that we've already established, like 44 million Americans, like $1.5 trillion in debt. Um, we're going to take a brief pause uh, just to get our bearings, and then we are going to go into uh, lies, lies, and more lies on the other side. It's, it's occurring to me post-break uh, that like a good uh, five-paragraph essay that we all remember how to write, I want to tie everything that we said, all our evidence from the last segment, back to our thesis statement that uh, the student loan debt crisis is affecting generally every facet of 
the economy and the United States as we know it. Um, so just in case you missed the points we were making, um, not to try to placate you or anything, but uh, if, if we're not having kids, then we're not spending money at Babies R Us and, and flooding the economy with, you know, the gratification that it needs of money washing over hands constantly um, to keep it moving. If we're not buying homes, then the housing market crashes again. And we actually know uh, from recent reports that the housing market is in dire straits right now because they were banking on about 400,000 Americans to have purchased homes in the last couple of years that didn't purchase homes because they can't afford to. Um, so the fact that, uh, you know, uh, this generation is not spending, not having babies, not buying cars, not buying homes really cripples just the entire economy. It just stops all motion, period. Capitalism eating its own. Capitalism eating again. its own. So, and now, now David, you, when will you, they ever learn? you brought up something, uh, about bankruptcy in the last segment and then... Yes, I have to make a correction. Took a moment to, to refresh it yourself. It is a, it is a known fact among many people, including myself, that you cannot discharge student loan debt in bankruptcy and that this was a change that was made to the bankruptcy law and that it's incredibly unfair. Turns out this is not actually true. You can discharge. <laughs> Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's, everybody's, everybody's saying, saying you can't, you saying. can't discharge. You can't discharge. I, oh, everyone's saying that. bankruptcy, not an option. Uh, you can discharge uh, student loan debt, any uh, any debt in in uh, Chapter Seven or Chapter Thirteen, apparently. But the the hurdles have been raised, and the bankruptcy bill of two thousand and five, which was supported by many Democrats, including Joe Biden, um, did raise those raised those thresholds. It was it was a very uh, uh, lender friendly friendly exercise, a credit card company friendly law, and uh, it made it more difficult, if not impossible, um, to get rid of these kinds of debt as well as other kinds of debt. So then, in your in your research of this, as as you were reading through during the break, we were talking about how. What, what it appeared to be was that if you, if you declared bankruptcy with these debts, um, you would have to prove in court, uh, not, not an improvable thing, you would simply have to prove that your, your, your student loan debt was um, causing undue or excessive uh, harm to your... Uh, Basically to your, making it impossible for you to make ends meet. You couldn't make ends meet. You couldn't, you couldn't meet... The, the expectations of the American dream. You couldn't have two kids, a house, so and a car. For the foreseeable future, it won't change. Right. That's what you have to prove. Right. And I was saying to you that, that you know, well, what would have to... Uh, well, people are being are already being discouraged from doing those things anyway. So they're, they're, they're feeding into the fear and, and making their own case for bankruptcy harder. But then you yourself realized it's even worse because if they went ahead and bought a home and did all these things and tried to declare bankruptcy, what would the court say to them? They would say, well, you have an out here because you can use an income-derived repayment plan since you're in such dire straits. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to pay off your full student loan. You and, can pay it off in increments. And as we've proven in the last segment, income-driven repayment, income repayment plans really work because I went from $72,000 in debt to $77,000 in debt 
on an income-driven repayment plan. Thanks, federal government. Uh, again, once again, this episode brought to you by capitalism. <laughs> it's what's for dinner. The whole idea of bankruptcy is that you don't have to pay everything you owe because you can't. And you, have, you can start fresh. By negotiating things down. Right. In this case, you only get to negotiate things up, I, which I, is crazy. I feel like we're playing the worst game of Milton Bradley's Monopoly ever, which is already a terrible game to begin with. <laughs> yep. Um, so moving moving forward, if it's ever Bradley's so slightly, right. um, it's a new one. Uh, there, is, there is no forward in this discussion. There's only round and round, but um, it's like a carousel, <laughs> round and round. Um, this coming from Vice, we're not going to go as deeply into this one as I thought because we've already dealt with most of the numbers, um, but this is Vice's, here's fresh evidence student loans are a massive generational scam. Um, and what they say in here is, uh, the worst part is that those who sought an elite education on the widely accepted notion that it would help them later in life were basically sold a bad bill of goods. Uh, this assumption being that having an education would would help them. Uh, they continue. All that debt provides awfully little payoff in terms of boosted wages, even as it ensnares more and more people and hits youth of color especially hard. Now, again, I want you to remember key phrases here. I want you to remember 44 million. I want you to remember 1.5 trillion. I want you now to remember... Youth of color especially hard. These are going to be so crucial later on when you take the quiz. Um, according to a new paper released Tuesday by two researchers at the left-leaning Roosevelt Institute, research fellows Julie Margareta Morgan and Marshall Steinbaum concluded that more and more debt hasn't significantly boosted income for college grads. It just seems that way because high school grads without BAs are making less than they once did. So that's about wages actually going down across the board and not being able to even create a fair scale. So if you went into debt to get your degree, that has enabled you to, to stay afloat. Maybe. While people with only high school educations are drowning. Is well, that... no, 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 no. That would be, that would be your assumption, David, if, if the, as we pointed out, if the interest rates made any sense. Right. Right. But since the interest rates and since the cost of education don't make any sense, then we're back to your eighty thousand dollars and your sixty thousand dollar job. But relatively, not speaking, making any. You're only doing better because people without a college education are doing worse. That's what you're saying. Right. But actually, I think and and where this falls short, I, I do want to finish this. But where this falls short is that it's not just the uncollege educated, it's that everybody's falling short because wages have actually gone right. down in the past 25 years. Right. Um, we're just not making it that well known. But let me continue. Um, they also found that looking at decent rates for repayment by student debtors is a misleading way to look at the scale of this crisis. And thanks to workers lacking the power they once enjoyed in an increasingly skill-obsessed economy, young, work, young people are often being pressured into getting extra degrees on their own dime, which is to say by taking on more debt, for minimal payoff. Uh, once again, if you thought your degree was an investment, it's actually not. It's Sure, it's keeping you out of your you know, $15 minimum wage in certain states now, 
Um, but it's still not getting you what whatever you thought the middle class American dream was ever going to be. So thus, thus concludes our first chapter of where we are and how we got here. Now we're going to get into the actual criminal actions and lies that have occurred during this time. Um, this first one uh, harkens back to our discussion of all direct loans being dispersed by the federal government, but being, you know, shadow-handed by these secondary companies, right? Right. Uh, So this coming from NPR. Federal watchdog issues scathing report on Ed Department's handling of student loans. This is fresh. This is February 14th, 2019. This is a week ago. A critical new report from the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Inspector General finds the department's student loan unit failed to adequately supervise the companies it pays to manage the nation's trillion-dollar portfolio of federal student loans. Once again, the federal government failed to manage the people that it entrusted to manage these student loans. The report also rebukes the Department's Office of Federal Student Aid, that's the FSA, where every time you go get your FAFSA, it's from the FSA, for rarely penalizing companies that failed to follow the rules. Again, if, if you want to think of the government as any kind of analogy, they would be the referees in a sporting event, okay? In hockey, you, you hip check somebody against the boards, that's a penalty. You get a penalty. In football, unnecessary roughness, that's a penalty. You get a penalty from the referees. This is saying the FSA decided, huh, it looks like you cheated. Eh, we'll let this one go. Countless times. Okay. Instead of safeguarding borrowers' interests, the report says FSA's inconsistent oversight allowed these companies, known as loan servicers, to potentially hurt borrowers. No, not potentially. Actively hurt borrowers. Sorry, just going to editorialize that. Actively hurt borrowers and pocket government dollars that should have been refunded because servicers weren't meeting federal requirements. Quote, By not holding servicers accountable, FSA could give its servicers the impression that it is not concerned with servicers' noncompliance with federal loan service requirements, including protecting borrowers' rights. In other words, you teach, to to take from Oprah, you teach people how to treat you. So if you decide, ah, you're not going to, you're not going to care if I break the law, all I've learned is I can break the law now. So to cut to the chase here. Let's cut to the quick. They pay the servicers. uh, They are contracted. to, To enable students to pay back their debt. Correct. The servicers, in turn, charge students a ridiculous amount of interest, and the government does not in any way intervene. Correct. And the servicers also do a terrible also, job yes. of servicing these loans, of communicating what's necessary to students, to borrowers, uh, of managing the whole process, They're and the government lying. does nothing to police that. Nothing. That's exactly right. Great job. Great job. Great job. job. You're talking about my journalism here, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
I know you're being sarcastic about the system, but you're also saying, Gabe, you're being an incredible journalist here. You've really broken this fucking system down. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. They're lying. So, so when we talk about, so let's get back to what, uh, let's get back to really uh, the, the thing that started all of this discussion off in, I want to say, summer of last year, which was the, uh, the 10 year anniversary of what is called public service loan forgiveness. And on the 10 year anniversary. It's one of the many scandals embedded in this industry. On the 10 year anniversary of public service loan forgiveness, there was supposed to be a great awakening, a great celebration, because 40,000 Americans were going to be wiped debt free. And instead, 40,000 runners were going to cross the finish line after having made 120 monthly payments, that's 10 years worth of monthly payments, uh, on their loans as employees of not-for-profit enterprises doing public service for America, for all of us, and therefore they they would cross that line, they would raise their hands, someone would place a medal around their necks, and the medal would read, your loan is forgiven, and whatever student debt they had at that point they would be discharged of and they would be able to go out to a nice restaurant and have a meal and not worry about what they were spending because they didn't have any more student debt. But and, what actually David, happened, well, David, well, David, what happened? Let's put it in runner's perspective. Since you, 40, 000, since you right? talked about crossing the finish line, 40,000. Since you talked about crossing the finish line, they were going to be 100% complete crossing the finish line. Instead, what we got were something like Barkley Marathon numbers. The number of finishers was actually less than 1%. 1%! Of what it was supposed to be. Of what it was... Of, 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 of eligible mean. applicants. Right. And, and, and what we're deeming eligible applicants were legit eligible applicants. This is not a made-up number. Right. These were people who had their facts checked, who had made these payments, who you know, did the work in public service and so what 1%, happened? 200 people because of all the lies, because of lies from their servicers that may, because of, and, and I want to, I want to be, I want to be clear on this. I, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying servicers are lying on purpose. They're not, they're not. It's, it's a comedy of errors out there. It's that when you call somebody at your loan servicer, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know these bills. They don't understand what's happening. They don't understand the scam or what's being rigged here. They don't get it. So what you get from that person is piecemeal information. And this is what these companies thrive on. They thrive on giving you piecemeal information. And I have been in the position, the personal position, of calling my loan servicer three different times on the same day and getting three different responses from three different uh, HR people. Right. And that's maddening. And beyond maddening, it's accentuating the, the, the notion that they don't, the left, it's not even that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's that the thumb doesn't know what the index finger is doing. But the root cause is basically that no one was holding them accountable in any way to keep track of this. Mm. There was no... There's no reason no. for them to keep track of it. No. 
And then some, and then David also, I want to, I want to acknowledge there were some people that were making payments that were not income driven payments. They were making full fledged payments right. of a hundred, uh, 120 full fledged payments. And then we're told, oh wait, but you weren't making income driven payments. Well, why is that a problem? Right. Again, in full faith, they did what they thought was the right thing. They paid, in fact, more back to the government right. than would have been repaid. So why not forgive them? What are you doing other than penalizing them if you're saying, no, we well, don't count that? was just a little hoop that they threw in. It's that, a loop. That people had to jump. That's right. It's just a hoop. So another hoop being the fact that they had to fill out the right paperwork every year to certify that they were working for an actual not-for-profit, and if they forgot to do that, or if nobody did the paperwork, David, again, no payment, right? David, it is death by a million paper cuts. <laughs> a million paper cuts. Yes. Okay, so now we find out that the federal government isn't even keeping track of the people that it has sent out to do their dirty work. Right, their bitch work here. Um, let's get into recession talk. Uh, so, this is from Bloomberg.com. December seventeenth, two thousand eighteen. U.S. student debt uh, sets record, doubling since recession. U.S. student loan debt outstanding reached a uh, record one point four six five trillion last month, and one particular set of borrowers is having a hard time paying back their loans, according to Bloomberg analysis of student loans securitization data. Over, quote, over 90% of student loans are guaranteed by the U.S. Department of Education. See, David? There, mm-hmm. we, there we have it. That's our, that's our proof that right. everything I've been saying so far is true about these things coming directly from the federal government. Meaning that if a recession causes a rise in youth unemployment and triggers mass defaults, this contingent liability could prove burdensome for the U.S. government budget, said Paul DeGuardia, economist at the Institute of International Finance in emailed comments. So this is important, so keep keep track of this because they just mentioned the, the D word, default, which we haven't gotten to, but we will in, in short time. Uh, the record uh, student debt level is more than double the $675 billion outstanding in June 2009 when the recession ended. So, I mean, that number enough is staggering, right, that we've doubled in student loan debt since 2009. Uh, for one group of young adults the, uh, the, that took out loans in 2012, student loan debt is a particularly stark reminder of college. Loans dispersed in 2012 have defaulted at a faster rate than any other loan cohort since the financial crisis. Uh, the Bloomberg analysis found that loans issued about six years ago have the highest cumulative loss percentage compared to any other year since the financial crisis ended. This indicates that students who took out loan, a loan in 2012 have had as much, mo- have had a much more difficult time making their monthly payments compared to students who received monthly loans shortly before or after. Um, a large percentage of those who took out loans in 2012 are currently between 24 and 33 years old, an age where many are generally establishing themselves in their careers. Borrowers in this group entered the labor force when the unemployment rate was twice as high as today and may have found it difficult to find a career track in their desired field. Further adding to the difficulties faced by this group uh, was that finding a position in 2012 took almost three times longer than today, according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, So 
In other words, to put it more simply, people in their late 20s are having a particularly hard time with student debt. Correct. <clears throat> but I mean, that again, that is the, that is the age that we talked about. Right. The age people that people would be buying. are still in school, and people in their 30s apparently have somehow gotten past this to a greater extent than their younger cohort. Somehow, yeah. And, and we could owe that as much to luck as to being born in the right year as to uh, uh, listening to more Nirvana when they were young. I mean, we, we just don't have, like, there's no, there's no actual but facts around why they're more... This would seem to be the trend, which means that the next cohort up will have the same problem. Correct. Absolutely. Right. Um, and and is, I, I, uh, I think that the default position is, is the one to, to focus on, that this group is defaulting more that this group is having more troubles because we're going to get to a default number at the end that's stunning and and I have a feeling about default that I want to share with you and and see what your take is David um but before we get there we have more lies this this time coming from our favorite person on the show Betsy DeVos uh from Business Insider Betsy DeVos warns of a crisis in education as the outstanding student loan owed to the U.S. government reaches nearly $1.5 trillion. Uh, Washington. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos says, ballooning student loan debt has caused a crisis in higher education and that the traditional path to college might not be the best choice for everybody. I want to stop right there and say that David is chuckling. That's her takeaway. It's more like wincing than chuckling. That's her takeaway. We need to pause full stop and say the Department of Education's secretary, the person who, as Al Franken put it, is literally in charge of a bank whose only job is to educate our society. That's the only job this bank has. And that's the only job her position has is how to fund this thing, how to pay for this thing. Her takeaway from we have a crisis is, huh, Maybe four-year college isn't for you. Have you heard about these for-profit colleges? I hear they are grand. Having trouble paying for food? Maybe <laughs> food isn't right for you. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, even better, even better. Consumer um, sawdust. <laughs> yes. Having trouble paying for human food? Have you tried cat food? I hear it's pretty edible. And if you close your eyes, it almost is the same. Have you tried living in your car? Oh, wait, you don't have a car? Are your parents still alive? Amazing. Do they live in the same state as you? I don't understand. All other Trump cabinet secretaries, as far as I can tell, have resigned in disgrace because they had scandals. Why can't she? Well, we've we've said it on this show before. There's, There's no reason for her to even have a job. I mean, just stop having a job. Just give up. Just... Like, I'm sorry, uh, you're a senior citizen in 2019 with $4 billion in the bank. Yeah. Go away. You should be on that yacht. Yeah. On one of your 10 one yachts. One of those yachts. One of your $10 million plus yachts. Go yeah. be on a yacht. Why are you working? I don't know. This is not... Know, but... Oh, does she have... Wait, wait, David, I, I, I really shouldn't have spoken out of turn. Is it possible that she has student loan debt that she's trying to get forgiven by working for the federal government? Because technically, 
I think that enables her to I don't know. PSLF. I don't, I don't think it's enough for profit. <laughs> um, Under the code. I'm going to continue just, just a little bit more for comic relief. Speaking at a conference in Atlanta on Tuesday, DeVos raised a red warning flag that the federal government must change the way it gives out student loans. Oh yeah, that's the issue. She says the federal government holds nearly $1.5 trillion in outstanding student loan debt up from $500 billion in 2007. DeVos says the Obama administration worsened the problem by taking over the administration of student loans in 2010. She says that encouraged schools to raise rates. Well, that would be the free market, wouldn't it? If we believe that the free market actually existed, that, mm. that it would be within their rights to raise rates. But that still doesn't explain why we're crippling an entire generation. DeVos didn't propose specific changes. Uh, hint, hint, because she doesn't have any. She just wanted to take a shot at Obama. But said students should be encouraged to take the path, quote, that's right for them even if it isn't towards a traditional college. Again, this is a woman who directly benefits from for-profit colleges, whose boss directly benefits from for-profit colleges, whose money comes directly from for-profit colleges. These people are not to be trusted. And as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez pointed out in her uh, lightning round in Congress the other day, these are the bad people. And they, there is no oversight to decide what they can or cannot weigh in on. She's directly weighing in on things that empower her and embolden her and make her more money. Once again, I'm not saying I wish this person ill, but if, needs to go away. if a meteor fell from the earth right now, um, you know, say Armageddon style, and just fell on one of her many Michigan houses that only happened to be occupied by herself and herself alone. No staff, no family. Well, then I'd be all right. I'd be all right. Uh, David Moore lies. Um, Influential Democrat and Republican figures, tales of student debt woes are overblown. This coming from Market Watch. Ask most borrowers, and many Americans for that matter, whether shouldering student debt impacts their daily life. Most would give a resounding yes. But ask many of the stakeholders who influence our nation's policy approaching the $1.5 trillion student loan problem, and you'll likely get a more measured response. Case in point. A recent public conversation between Spiros Protosaltis, a professor at George Mason University, and an Obama-era Department of Education staffer, uh, David Cleary, the, and David Cleary, the chief of staff to Senator Lamar Alexander, a, tech, a Tennessee Republican, and the head of the Senate's Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. The two, who come from different sides of the aisle, didn't agree about, uh, on much during a panel session hosted at the Education Writers Association last week. But one place where they did appear to find common ground, their take on student debt's impact on borrowers. Spiros described many of the headlines surrounding student debt as exaggerated. Now, David, I just want to pause here and ask you. You are a... Do you mind if I give your age out? No. Okay, you are a 68-year-old American, American-American, as mm-hmm. we would say on uh, UID. You're a 68-year-old American male 
you are in the baby boomer generation, you know less about student loans than say I do, but you're also on this episode because you know more than most already. Would you say that what we have just discussed is exaggerated? No. <laughs> would you? Okay, would you say what we have just discussed is accurate? I'll give you a third choice. Would you say this is the tip of the iceberg and we're not even at like... Yes. <laughs> it's totally understated, I believe. <laughs> totally understated. Okay, thank you for that. So, Spiros, you're a hack. Um, quote, it's not like higher education overall has a problem with debt. It's the people who don't complete and drop out with debt, he said. Now, this I also want you to remember. Oh, so, my God. So, back to the quiz. Oh, my the God. The quiz is 44 million Americans, 1.5 trillion. It's affecting youth of color more and more. And now we have it's affecting people who don't complete and drop out with debt. From okay. Spiros. But he's absolutely right. People who incur debt and drop out are now paying excessive amounts of interest to pay off debt. To pay off something, something they don't That they're even not have. even benefiting from. Right. So they are, in fact, the worst off. Well, yeah. But. Of course they are. But they're not, they're not the only and people they, who are suffering. And, they're just the, the worst of the worst. The next layer up are people who completed their education. And are unemployed. And are unemployed. So they're paying, again, excessive amounts to or are not debt. E- or are not even employed in the field that they took. Right. Reduce debt can't get a job for something there. that hasn't benefited them yet, but right. may benefit them in the future. Mm-hmm. And then there's the layer above that of people who actually have benefited from getting a higher education. But, but are still making are still, a stagnated wage because wages haven't gone up. But even if they were, even even if they were only making what they're currently making, if they were paying off loans at a at a decent interest rate and under a decent payment plan, I see. Could yeah, probably yeah, yeah, yeah. manage it, but can't because, as you said, six percent and so then interest, I'd like interest accrued on top of principal, et cetera, makes so, it impossible. So then I'd like to make uh, an analogy here. It's not an analogy. It's, a, it's more of an idiom. But uh, because what you just did was you were going over the different ways that people, different groups might be affected by this thing. But that, back to the point, they're all wholly affected by this thing. Yes. And what it sounded He's like to me... saying only this one group is what suffering. It, what it sounded like to me, David, was that, and somebody might accuse you of this, was that, David, you were moving the goalpost. Because at first, you were talking about getting a job that pays the right amount, but then you were also talking about having an interest rate that isn't completely insane. They'd say, you moved the goalpost there. You changed your argument. But what I would say, of course, is that's what they're doing. They've moved the goalpost so many times, we don't even know what the goal is anymore. Right? Because I'm, I'm in a job where... <clears throat> I'm in a job in the field that I chose my education for, and I'm making what we would call a living wage. But to your point, I can't get out from under this debt because of the interest rate, simply because of the interest rate. So right. I've, and, I've and, done and, everything I was supposed right. to do, but they moved the goalpost on me because they took away, they took away my financial freedom from this thing. In, in a world that made sense, having an income-driven repayment plan would allow you to actually reduce your debt based on a reasonable income. 
it would not cause you to, in fact, increase your debt while you're paying a certain percentage of your income. Mm -hmm. In other words, this whole thing is driven by what you supposedly owe as opposed to what you can actually afford. Right. Even when you're in a supposedly income-driven repayment situation. Yes. It's not really income No, it's not repayment. Because it's no, not repayment. No, David, it's not repayment. Right. It's not, you're, you're missing the, 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 the functional word there. Right. You're literally not repaying it. It's literally growing. Right. It's the opposite it's of an investment. It's, it's not, a divestment. It's not IDR, it's IDS, income-driven <laughs> servitude. Yeah, it's serfdom. That's right. exactly it, it's serfdom. Right. No, wait, we continue. Quote, this is coming from the other side now. This is coming from the, uh, from the, the Obama guy, I believe. Yes. Uh, the debt stories are a little overblown, Cleary said. While policymakers should be mindful of the debt it takes to achieve an undergraduate degree, Cleary, Cleary framed the average debt at graduation, $29,669, as a, quote, pretty good investment for a degree that boosts earnings by $1 million on average over a lifetime. Now, that's a fun stat. If, if those stats were true, that that's would be true. That's a fun stat. Because, right, if that's true, that makes sense. Now, what that stat, of course, doesn't say is that boosting uh, earnings by $1 million over a wage that has decreased... Based on, they're saying boosting stats. I don't know stats, where they get this one million. But let's say let's pretend this one million. Okay. So let's pretend your base is working at McDonald's. So you're either going to work at McDonald's or go to school. Now what we've learned from previous articles is that working at McDonald's, the money has actually gone down. We didn't think that. We thought the we thought the minimum wage was going up, or staying level. But your earning power actually went down at McDonald's. Right. And so your your earning power, going to school, paying this thirty thousand wherever he got that number from in debt, and making one million more than a decrepit amount at McDonald's, is over a lifetime is somehow worth anything. But of course, we also know that a million dollars over a lifetime isn't worth jack shit. It's not even a livable wage in some cities, <laughs> like. You can't live in San Francisco with the potential to earn a million over a lifetime. Fuck that. Well, a million over 50 years is only 20,000 a year. It's nothing. So what that it is. doesn't it doesn't it is a stat that means nothing. Right. Wherever they were to get that from. Okay. They continue. In many cases, the eye-popping debt loads are the result of, quote, personal choices that people are making, like attending graduate school, he added. Which, again, is not a personal choice because of previous articles we've read. This is the skills economy where you have to have a graduate degree. Otherwise, you have nothing. Because a BA is a BA and a nickel will get you on the subway, right. as they used to say. In some ways, Cleary and Spiros are correct. This is going to go on to say bullshit, so I'm not going to... This is where the Market Watch lies. Market Watch was the one that we first read from, that David read from, who I said, usually lie because they have their own Ben, but I read them like I read the Washington, uh, like the New York Post because they're fun to attack. Um, then they lie and say something about dire consequences of not finishing and blah, blah, blah. We don't care about that. Uh, another liar. Another Trump administration liar, David. This one is Nick Mulvaney. 
Do you know the name? Yes. Would you care to tell the audience who Nick Mulvaney is in Mick, case they don't know? Mick, not Mick Mulvaney, sorry. Uh, he's one of the few people uh, left in Republican circles who's willing to work for Donald Trump, and therefore he has, I believe, three different jobs. He is, he was OMB director. He is now temporary chief of staff, and he's also head of the uh, Consumer Financial. Uh, what is it? The uh, uh, CFPB, the, the Consumer, Consumer Financial, Financial Protection, Protection Bureau. Bureau invented by Elizabeth Warren and currently being destroyed by Donald Trump. Correct. Uh, ding, 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 right? On all counts, amazing, unbelievable. This is why you're on this episode. Um, so, Mick, uh, so this is where I love, this is, this is where the great lies come in, and this is where I love uh, what, what uh, millionaires and billionaires have to say about student loan debt, um, not knowing it. And I think this is a thing that we've always understood about Republicans, and, and about all people really, is that until they know of something personal to themselves, they can't experience it, right? They, they, this is what we call having no empathy or right. being a psychopath. Um, but they literally can't fathom something that is outside of their own experience. So they can't fathom the black experience. They can't fathom the millennial experience. It's just in unfathomable. They don't care about gays unless they're in their family. Exactly. And then they suddenly care. Perfect. So this is uh, Mick uh, from, C- uh, from CNBC on uh, September 12, 2018. Uh, Mick Mulvaney worries about the moral consequences of failing to pay back student loans. So again, just like, just like Betsy, who again is the only person like Mick to still have a job in this administration, missing the target entirely. So off the target, you hit another person in the next room. Mick Mulvaney, acting director of Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, said Wednesday he's worried about the impact that rising student loan debt could have on the United States. Great place to start, Mick. We're all worried about it. We're it. so worried about this. So this thing is right crippling page. the entire economy, and we've got to do something about it. Mick, what are we going to do? Thank God. Mulvaney, also President Trump's budget chief, oh, a job you missed. <laughs> Told CNBC, no, <laughs> told CNBC, there appears to be a, quote, disconnect among many college students when it comes to, quote, making of a loan and, quote, repaying of a loan. Now, this is a very interesting thing. He's going to walk us through this. He's going to explain to us what we're missing about this argument, David. Okay, Mulvaney. I think people don't pay as much attention about paying the loan back. Mulvaney told CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Oh, a favorite on, on many of our favorite shows, David. Uh, that worries me from a financial standpoint and a moral standpoint. If we teach an entire generation of people that the first major loan they take out, they don't have to pay back, I'm worried about the long-term impact of that, added Mulvaney, formerly a congressman from South Carolina who was a member of the hardline conservative Freedom Caucus. So... Mulvaney's worried that if we do any forgiveness at all, we're teaching a bad lesson to Americans who are literally dying on their feet. I just told you, David, the entire population of America will die over the course of the next 50 years because they will not repopulate if we don't forgive these loans. And he's thinking, but are they learning the right lesson? Well, you know, I, I understand, you know, that he's he's concerned about 
people learning that to, you know, to pay what they owe, to be responsible, Did financially he, responsible. Okay, I think so that's very important. Okay, so then are we saying he had that same position when it came to say bailing out the motor industry or how about the, the banks? banks? Yeah, how about the banks? They didn't pay back what they owed. In fact, I'm pretty sure we forgave them, David. Well, actually, I think eventually all the banks did pay back. But the question is, why were they offered those those loans under TARP to begin with? Since they had demonstrated no financial responsibility. None whatsoever. And that's, what, and that's also what we're actually saying about FSA right now, is that they and their cohorts, the... Uh, the loan servicers have di- have have demonstrated no financial responsibility whatsoever. Well, you know what what it really comes back to, though, is the question not so much of did you take out a loan and therefore do are you on the hook right. to repay every bit of it? Right. Well, there's two questions. First of all, if you did take out a loan, as you said, if it's a loan from a loan shark, then you're. If, Financial responsibility doesn't come into it. It doesn't come into it. Because you are... Because you're you, an asshole. You basically slit your own throat. You did. Uh, and, and that's, that's what those these people are. The condition, those are the conditions Those are these absolutely are 100% the conditions but of even if these loans were, even if these loans were reasonable loans, the question would be, not so much should you repay the loan, as why is it that you have a loan to begin with? Who was it that decided that the only way that you could complete an undergraduate education in the United States was to owe a ton of money to somebody. Because before 1975, nobody thought that. And after 1975, apparently everybody thinks that and it's perfectly reasonable. But the question is why? As somebody pointed out today, we don't ask people to take out loans to get through high school. No. We don't ask people to take out loans and pay high tuition to get through middle school. No. Why did, when, at what point did we decide that people have to become indentured servants forever in order to get through undergraduate school? And I think the answer is somewhere around the late 70s for some reason. Right. But there isn't any particular reason. No, there really isn't. So, I mean... Oh, this was in the context of Amy Klobuchar saying that we it would be nice if we had a free college, free public college for everyone, but we can't afford it. Right. But the fact is there was a time when we basically did afford it in fact, we provided it because tuition at public colleges, and I remember this, it's within living memory. Yeah. Tuition at public colleges was like in the hundreds of dollars a semester. Right. Or maybe a little bit into the thousands, but it was, it was ridiculously low. And if you lived in the state where the public university was located. And while we're while we're on this topic of uh, of Klobuchar's uh, declaration and, and <coughs> of well, she's um, not the only one who says we can't. No, no, no. Uh, she's not the only one. And but of but of of the idea of uh, of paying for public uh, undergraduate degrees, um, I think uh, as we've done before, we've we've changed the question, right? Because her question is the wrong question. Her question being. Can we afford to pay for it? No. And the, the actual question is, can we afford to not pay for it? Right? Can we afford to keep going at the rate that we are currently going? 
So David, I'm going to put that one back on you. So from 2007, or sorry, from 2009 till 2019, we have doubled in student loan debt. Right. So as we pointed out, 24 to 33s are not making their payments back right now or are doing so at a rate that they will never repay back. Mm-hmm. And you pointed out yourself that 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 just means that the next generation is going to have it as hard, if not harder, based on our current expectations of this, if nothing goes unchanged and unchecked. Right. So then we're saying in another 10 years, from 2009 to 19 to 29, we're going to have at least double of that, right? Mm-hmm. Or not necessarily double. Let's Let's just give it another 50%. Let's just say now we're at two point three trillion. How's how's the U.S. economy doing right now? When nobody's buying houses, when nobody's having babies, when nobody's making any major purchases, when the only thing people are doing—if you recall, David—we had a stimulus under Barack Obama, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Do you know what most people did with their stimulus? They paid back debt. Right. Most people paid off their credit card bills or, in the case of student loan debtors, paid off student loan debt. That's not helpful to the economy. That doesn't move the wheels. Right. The gears don't move. So I can we also, afford to keep going at this rate is the say, real question. I would also say the question is not can we afford it or can we not? Can we afford not to tackle it? I would say the question would be should be reframed the way that AOC has reframed the question of how do we pay for for stuff which is we don't ask that question when it comes to the military right we don't ask we don't. that question when it comes to tax cuts for the wealthy no. we don't ask that question for a lot of things but we suddenly ask that question when it comes to things like education yeah uh, healthcare social security suddenly mm-hmm. that's the main the, the one question that is straight up at the top. Those are the ones that get before you even get to the details of what is it you're proposing and you know, do we need it and what would it do? And, and what are all the ins and outs and the details? Now, before we get to any of that, the first question is, well, how do we pay for it? Right. But you never hear that question in these other contexts. Well, David, if I ask why we need a standing army, then I'm un American. Right. And I'm not a patriot. It's not a question of, do we need it? The question is, this particular program, how do we pay for that? Yeah, I know. Where does that money, where does the money for this fighter <coughs> jet come from? So. Have you ever heard anyone ask that question? No. How can we possibly afford these military programs? Yeah. And, and uh, should, we, should we say. And what should we cut back on in, should, order, in order to pay for that? Should we say then, David, how much those military programs cost? What do those cost annually? What is, what is the military budget annually between $550 and $650 billion? That's every year. So every couple, to, every couple years, every two years, we're spending on the military the same amount that a one-time relief would cost for 44 million Americans. And by the way, and is anyone suggesting that big a wipeout anyway? Is anyone suggesting that? Yeah, I've heard it. Total wipeout. I've heard total wipeout suggested before. Yes, by I'm not the first person to suggest total wipeout. No doubt. 
by yeah by some socialist democrat communist socialist whatever all, all the names but yes i have heard total wipeout absolutely called for and and not just wipeout because obviously wipeout would only affect this one group but you you then have to as warren proposes as bernie proposes as aoc proposes you would have to plan for the future and stop this from ever happening again yeah. but again Back to my point, if you did wipe it out, you'd, you'd immediately impact 44 million Americans in a way that no stimulus has, that no anything has. It would be has. the greatest stimulus ever. It would be the greatest stimulus to the economy ever. And my question, back to your point of, do we ask why we do these things for the military? What's, what's 600 million a year doing for the military? Billion. 600 billion a year doing for the military. I mean... Okay, it's employing all those military troops. Absolutely. Is that 44 million troops? No. You make a good point. And, of course, forgiving the debt is not an immediate expense. It's an expense over the next, whatever the debt repayment period is, 20 to 30 yes. years. So it's basically, it's like that $3 billion that we were going to give to Amazon. It's money that doesn't exist, really. It's theoretical money. Right. Theoretical monies. Um, so, all right, so look, you, you, you brought up, is anybody talking about total debt forgiveness? Uh, we're going to get to that in a minute, but before we get there, we have to talk about, uh, more actual figures and we're, we're wrapping it up here, folks, I swear. But, um, so we need to talk about the D word. We need to talk about default. Okay. How's default going? Well, I'm going to tell you how default is going. I'm going to tell you about the way people talk about default. And then I'm going to tell you about the secret about default. Okay. So this is coming from lifehacker.com. Two cents lifehacker. I have no idea who these people are, so don't go to them. Uh, what to do if you default on your student loans. Defaulting on student loans has become an inevitability for a certain proportion of borrowers. According to a report from the Urban Institute, one million borrowers default on their student loan payments each year, defined as not having made a payment in nearly a year. And around 40% are expected to default by 2023. So once again, a million people are defaulting on their loans every year. And 44 million Americans hold student loans. So basically, you could be the next person to default, in other words. Mm -hmm. It's everybody. Right. Doing so will have negative effects on your credit score, preclude you from certain jobs, cause interest and fees to pile up, lead to wage garnishment, and exacerbate general financial anxiety. There are a few different ways to get yourself out of debt, out of default, however, depending on the type of loan you have. So I'm going to pause there, because this is the way people talk about default, is they talk about it in, like, boogeyman stories. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, Gabriel, you don't want to default on your loans. You know what will happen then? It's a fate worse than they're gonna, Yeah, they're going to garnish your wages. Uh, your credit score goes bad. You can't buy anything. Bitch, I can't fucking buy anything right now. So what the fuck is my credit score doing for me? Right? right? Okay, back to the point. The ideal way, besides not defaulting in the first place, is paying off the entire balance in full. Oh, who yeah. Who the fuck are these people? <laughs> I told you, David. I, you said to me, you said, who the fuck writes an article where they tell you to pay off your loan in full? These people. Pay it off in full. Okay, okay. 
But the, that is that's obviously what the pot of gold that you find when you follow the rainbow and the leprechaun is. You have to beat up there, the leprechaun. David, there should be ads for the state lottery that run concurrent with this article. Okay, okay. But that is obviously not an option for everyone. For Read anyone. anyone. <laughs> if you've defaulted, you have a few other courses of action. So then they talk about forbearance and deferment. Then they talk about loan rehabilitation. Then they talk about loan consolidation. Blah, blah, blah. Then it says at the end, as though, as though they've like solved the riddle, they say, once you have everything squared away, you get serious about a repayment plan and put any extra money you can towards your principal balance. You don't want to fall behind again. Okay, life hacker, thanks for that. So they're talking to a, a clientele that A, can't pay their loans and are defaulting. Right. B, has a pot of money that they can right. use to pay off their loan in full. And C... Once they get back on their feet and are actually repaying this loan on some schedule, has some extra money that they can throw at the principal? Yep. Who are these people? Nobody. They don't exist. Okay. That's a mythological person. That's a, a unicorn. Total, total mythological. So I read you that one as a, a sort of red herring. I read you that to get to this, which is the idea of defaulting altogether. Okay, defaulting obviously means you just stop paying, right? And in this case, it means you stop paying for a year and then you're officially in default. But so I read you that to get to a point that we already made earlier about the banks. Uh, so in 2008, we had an issue with the banks, didn't we? Where they like, um, it seemed like they couldn't make ends meet. Why couldn't they make ends meet again, David? I guess uh, because uh, their income was not matching their um, expenses. And their income wasn't matching their expenses because they'd given out, I, I forget, they'd given out loans that something was happening on the back end. What was happening? Uh, they were going bad. They were going bad. So people couldn't repay their housing loans. Right. And were going into, I don't know, I'll just use a word here, like default on right. their housing loans. Right. And the entire economic system as we know it shut down. Right. In 2008 and 2009. Right. And as a result of that, what did you say we did? We fixed the whole system, right? Oh, no, wait, we didn't. We put a Band-Aid on it mm -hmm. that let the criminals who got us into the mess off the hook. Right. And they all got to keep their jobs and do the same things they'd been doing before, right? Basically, yes. Okay, so here's my question now then. My question now is, because we've already established that IDR is a scam. We've established that the whole student loan industry is an entire scam. We've also established that it's just about as poorly regulated as the housing market was back in 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. That even the government isn't keeping correct oversight on these people that they've entrusted to do this thing. Right. So what would you say would happen if we all stopped repaying? Well, I don't know if it would take down the entire economy. Is no. what you're suggesting? No, I'm definitely not suggesting that it would take down the entire economy. But what I am saying is that as a... Because it's not... We're, we're also not saying that in 2008, everybody stopped paying their mortgages. Right. That's not what happened. Right. Some people kept paying them because they could. And others didn't because they couldn't. Right. But if we're saying that most people are struggling... To pay their, if, if we're saying that out of 44 million Americans, even 
20 million Americans are struggling to repay their student loan debts Mm -hmm. and all of them just stop paying all at once. I mean, I wouldn't imagine that the government has the resources to go and harass and arrest and do whatever, garnish, whatever, those 20 million Americans. I just Mm -hmm. don't. I mean, again, this is all hypothetical, but I am really saying if 44 million Americans stop paying their student loan debt, we would have restitution. Yeah, it would be uh, civil disobedience. It would be civil, correct. Civil disobedience on a massive scale. As opposed to civil obedience, or as we put it earlier, serfdom. Right. Which is what we're paying to now. Right. Serfdom for no general outcome. And as you said earlier also, serfdom for nothing. Like, serfdom for an imaginary number that we just decided undergraduate and graduate degrees should cost, but with no real quantitative value to them. Right. It's kind of like the national debt. Oh. It's a big number. Oh, the national debt. It's a big number. Yeah. But it's completely imaginary. Yeah, does it matter? Right. Do we have to pay it off? No. So then why are we assuming we have to pay this one We're not gonna. We're not gonna. It's never gonna happen. So, yeah. So, I'm glad you brought up the national debt because that's how I feel this one would go. And just like you said earlier, it's not even a thing that we would pay off right now. It's a thing we'd pay off over the next 20 years, the next 30 years. So what I'm proposing is not wiping it out. I'm not saying you just erase the numbers like this is the end of Fight Club and you just blew up a bunch of corporate buildings or this is Mr. Robot and, you know... Uh, life hack has been, you know, executed, whatever. I'm saying you just roll that fucker in. You roll the 1.5... What? what? Okay, fine, Gabe. But you're forgetting the most important factor. What? It's called moral hazard. It's called moral hazard. So we need to define moral hazard. Let's define moral hazard, because I have one article left for you. Okay. This is the best article. Moral hazard is when you don't do something... Because it creates a precedent <laughs> under which people would do something terrible in the future. That's why we did not bail out those financial institutions in 2008. We did not give them money despite their irresponsibility. Because if we had done so, that would have been rewarding bad behavior. And that would make them continue that bad behavior in the future. So we didn't do that, right? I, I, I Yes. Yeah. So that's why you wouldn't do it in this case. You would never do it. Okay. I, I just... I just want to make that clear. I'm glad you made it clear. I, thank you for, for your uh, perspective on it, though, Do, um, And I mentioned uh, that we were going to... There was going to be some comedy in this episode. We're an hour and 35 minutes into it, and we haven't had any. Let's, let's get some levity in here. This is the New York Times. Because, David, you asked me, has anybody talked about eliminating all student debt? Yeah, people have talked about it. People have talked about it so much, it made it to the pages of the New York Times. All right. In the op-ed section. All right. This coming from David Lenhard. Eliminating all student debt isn't progressive. Dun, dun, dun. What? I, 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 want, I want David Lenhart to have a hot takes segment what? now. Like, I want him to just be the hot takes op-ed guy, because this is, yeah... His subtext is... I thought it was so progressive that it's socialist, but okay, go ahead. Well, his subtext is it would be a giant welfare program for the upper middle class. First of all, the, let's, let's dispense with the pretext that upper middle class exists anymore. There's wealth and impoverished. 
Okay. That's it. I mean, well, upper middle class is the thing that we made up. They're, okay. Uh, okay. Anyway, he goes on. Democrats won't be able to do much policymaking over the next two years because of President Trump and the Republican Senate, but they can still use their House majority to do more than investigate Trump. Democrats could hold hearings and pass bills uh, that make clear their party's vision in 2020 and beyond. They can figure out which ideas have the potential both to improve people's lives and to win over voters. I'm really glad we're reading this on the day that Bernie Sanders announced he's running and just everything about this is going to become very clear in moments. One idea that started making the rounds is the elimination of all student debt. Major publications have published columns promoting the idea. He notes none of them. Almost 20 House Democrats have signed on to a bill written by Jared Polis, Colorado's governor-elect, that would cancel all debt. It's also a priority for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the high-profile incoming House member of, from the Bronx. He did not know Queens. The allure is clear enough. Americans now hold $1.4 trillion, he's wrong, in student debt. Eliminating it seems like the kind of bold progressive idea that Democrats should embrace. But it's actually a bad idea. <laughs> it's the sort of proposal, alluring but counterproductive, that Democrats should avoid as they build an agenda. I'm glad we're asking David, uh, whatever the fuck his name yeah, is, no. why, what, what we should do for an agenda. The fatal flaw of universal student debt cancellation is that it is, it's not, in fact, progressive. It mostly benefits the upper middle class. He now quotes from somebody. Education debt, as Sandy Baum and Victoria Lee of the Urban Institute have written, is disproportionately concentrated among the well-off, end quote. The highest earning quarter of the population holds about half of all student debt, according to Baum and Lee, which means that universal student debt cancellation would be a giant welfare program for the bourgeoisie. To be clear, student debt is a real problem. But it's a complicated problem. I gotta pause there. I gotta pause there. Because it is the proposition of the Dull Crayons as a whole that anytime somebody says it's a complicated problem, not only are they lying, they are wrong. Anybody can make things complicated. It takes genius <coughs> to make them simple. Sir Albert Einstein. Okay. He said it. In other words. But he said it. He was not knighted. I just gave him a knighthood. Okay. To be clear, student debt is a real... Pro uh, uh, sorry. Most people struggling to pay off their debts are not graduates of four-year colleges. They are instead non-graduates. People who attended college, often a for-profit college, but never received a degree. They have the worst of both worlds. Debt and no degree. So you said this earlier. Right. But not in these words. <coughs> because he's saying... You said they have it the worst off. He's saying most people struggling to pay their debts off are these people. I don't think there is no proof to back this up. There is nothing to back this up. There are not... To be most people, you would have to be... Four, uh, sorry, you would have to be 20... What? 22 million Americans. 23 million Americans that didn't finish their schooling from for-profit colleges out of the 44 million that exist. It's, totally it's a fake st stat. Uh, he goes on. Most graduates of four-year colleges, by contrast, are doing just fine. I'm happy to tell you, David, we're not. Me and my wife, 
who share $200,000 in debt are not doing just fine. Right. We're not. We make, as a shared household, a buck 20. We're not doing just fine. I know you've probably read stories about liberal arts college graduates who ran up enormous debts and now can't find decent work. No, that's not what we've read. We've read actual hard studies and you're ignoring them. But they are the rare exceptions. For one thing, college graduates come disproportionately from higher income families. Also not a thing you can say. It's not. Most of these families don't make enough to pay for college outright, so their children take out some loans. But the amounts are usually manageable because most students attend public colleges and those who attend private colleges usually receive financial aid. What is he talking about? None of this is meaning anything. We already stipulated what the average is. The average is what? 80,000? 80,000. 86,000. Right. That's not... That's not trivial. That's not manageable, and that's not... And and if you received any financial aid on it, where'd it go? Or you'd agree it was 100000 before, and now it's eighty. Yeah. And those also... Yeah. And he also yeah, said... that is what he said. He also said... Mo- yeah. And he also said most people went to public school, which is also just not a thing you can say. I mean, maybe that's true, but those then aren't the people that we're talking about with $80,000 in debt... Because that's not what a public school degree costs. Um, I don't know. It's it's I don't, I don't know where he gets. It's too, I really it's, don't. Well, it's too it's too muddy to even dissect what he's I mean, saying. I mean, yes, there are more. There are probably more. Yes, there are more public college graduates than there are private college graduates. Well, that's just a numbers but game, but right? All of those people are some portion of both groups are in this mess that we're talking about. As well as and their average, as we've said, uh, right. is eighty thousand, and the total is one point four trillion. It doesn't matter whether it it's private matter. or public. It right. doesn't matter even if they're from affluent families. That's what I was going to say because because families. some portion of both they're are from affluent families, too, whether they're public it. schools or private schools. Right. right. It's all a hodgepodge. This is all just a way of discounting it. It's just a way of discounting it. But yeah. I want to get. Uh, I want to skip ahead then to. Um, to, to where he gets to why this is a, a boondoggle for us to, to get to. Right. Okay. Uh, oh, let's get to his own, personal, his own personal example. I happen to have been an example of a college graduate who did not deserve to have his loans forgiven. I grew up... Oh, so like we said earlier, David, yeah. you have to know what it's like right. in order to be there. Okay. Okay. I'm glad, he, I'm glad he's empathetic. I happen to have been an example of a college graduate who did not deserve to have his loans forgiven. I grew up in a middle-class family that was doing fine but needed financial aid. My dad worked as a high school teacher, and my mom worked at a local college. I went to Yale with the help of extended family members who pitched in. Also not something everybody has, so already you've annexed yourself. A scholarship and student loans. In today's dollars, I graduated with about $22,000 in debt. So go fuck yourself. A pit. <laughs> and I certainly did not enjoy repaying it. I remember grumpily writing the checks because he paid it back when you actually wrote checks and kept checkbook balances because he's 150 years old, obviously. 
Okay. I've seen him on TV. He's not that old. But okay. okay. It was a meaningful amount of money for a young journalist. It also became a monthly reminder of how bureaucratically frustrating the Yale Financial Aid Office had been for my parents and me. In some po- if some politician had suggested canceling my debt, I might have signed on to the movement. But might. now I certainly won't because might. because but now I certainly now won't. That I paid the it subtext all off, is because it's I gone because I can't benefit and because no reparations are going to be paid to me for my twenty two thousand dollars. You shouldn't have it either. But what's really wrong? With if his, I can't have it, nobody can. What's really wrong with his example is that his example doesn't represent reality on any level. No. Or it doesn't, and it doesn't represent the the the, the imaginary he American is, that he described. He is the imaginary American. He's the imaginary American, right? Right, a person who, who went to an extremely prestigious school. Yes. Came out with n- very little debt. Right. Even though, he came from a family that couldn't afford to pay full freight, and now just wants to shit on everyone else. That's, yes. That's his story. Well, yeah, that's journalism oh. for you. Um, we'll, we'll continue, though, because I, I really want to get to here. He's going he's gonna to mention the Brookings Institute, and we all love the Brookings Institute. But it would have been a silly movement, one that conflated the real struggles of poor and working class adult, young adults with the mild discomforts of the professional class. I have no idea what the mild discomforts of no, the no, professional no. class are. No, 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 I agree. If what? there was a movement to cancel his $20,000 of... Student debt. That, that would have been, been a very trivial. silly <laughs> Because it wasn't oppressive to him. It's not way. about him. <laughs> he doesn't get it. Yeah. He is conflating himself with the, yeah. with the public school student who dropped out after two years that he proposed. Right. Yeah. Right. The same is true today. A recent Brookings Institute study by Judith Scott Clayton found that the loan default rate for borrowers with a bachelor's degree was less than 8%. Oh, woo! Less than eight percent. So that means ninety-two percent are actually still struggling. Still to pay struggling. These stupid bills. The eight percent have escaped. Yeah. And you think that proves that it's not a bad system? The default rate for borrowers without any degree was a miserable forty percent. I understand why sweeping ideas like canceling all debt or free college seem appealing, and I know that some four-year college graduates really are struggling. But I'm going to ignore them for the sake of my conclusion here. But this country has too many big problems to start showering the upper middle class with enormous government benefits. Again. He hasn't made that case. He did not make the case no, that this didn't. was for the upper but again, middle class. Again, he's saying there's a high default rate for, for students who didn't finish. Correct. correct. Yes. So he's saying what we said before, which is that of the people who are suffering is. the worst it's such an obvious and are having the state. hardest time. Are the people who do not David. know educational benefit and still owe their loans. David, their David, that's like saying, that's like saying people with broken legs have a harder time finishing the New York Marathon. Yeah. They do. They have a harder time finishing the New oh, York Marathon. Like, but the fact that any of them finish the New York Marathon is, is a testament to American strength, and we no, should like, and we should just reward that instead of saying that uh, maybe we should fix their broken legs. It's like saying that homeless people use emergency rooms more than people who oh, are not good homeless. Oh, good one. Good one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No because, kidding. Because they don't have doctors. Because they don't have homes. They don't have homes. <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs> 
They also make all their mortgage payments on time, though. Yeah. You know, because yeah. Uh, yeah. they don't. Yeah. Um, but you know what? But seriously, if, if he's concerned about the fact that if we did this and forgave current student loans, that that would benefit too many people who are really doing really well, then you could put in a little clause in there. You could put in a ceiling. Yeah. And you could say that loans are forgiven for everyone who had an income of less than $200,000 in the year prior to this bill being passed. But, but David, the other thing that he's saying, and this is, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause you there only because when we, when we, when we put those, uh, uh, what is it, uh, the, the, the merits clauses on it or whatever, what he's also saying, because this has been his experience, is that other people will help you pay it off. Right, because he's saying that because, say, I came from a family of means, that suddenly my parents should pay off my student loan debt with me. Right. That that's their burden. Right. Even though I'm the one who took it out, even though I'm, even though it, it was my government that told me this was what an education was worth, right. that this was what the interest rate was worth, it's somehow <coughs> their fault, and they should have to pay it off with me. So what he would say is he wouldn't stop at a at an at an income clause because Pauline and I would surely fall short of that income clause right. for two hundred thousand dollars debt and one hundred and twenty grand a year we would fall short of it we would we would we would definitely get forgiveness under right. whatever his meager plan would be right but if I then took into account my parents you know shared income then suddenly he'd say oh no 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 no. Because you, you could have help. You could have those people doing something mm-hmm. instead of, you know, wherever this is going to come from. And that's, he's going to go five degrees out with it because that was his own experience with it. Right. Because as he said, my parents couldn't help me, but I had other family members. Right. Uh, like but what? I'm, he had just, fucking benefactors? Right. He's fucking a Charles Dickens character over here? I'm just here? saying if, there's a, if he's really concerned about this benefiting the wealthy, he can exclude the wealthy. Wait, uh, uh, wait, but David, I there's there's there is another laughable moment because he's gonna he's gonna announce that, but there's another laughable moment in what he says. The right approach is a debt is a debt forgiveness program that helps families who really need it. People whose income is below a certain threshold should have their debt forgiven. Parentheses. There you go. No, parenthetically, he's that's not a full stop. Oh, parenthetically. Expanding the income-based repayment programs that already exist. Full stop. That's not forgiveness. It's That's not repayment. And as we already pointed out, David, it's not repayment. It's serfdom. Right. It's but even if indebtedness. It were repayment, it's not. It's still not forgiveness. Right. He literally has no soul. Right. So his argument is actually very similar to one that's been discussed uh, on the Majority Report, which has to do with uh, if we make college free, then we're benefiting everyone, and that includes Donald Trump's children, and we don't want to make college free for Donald Trump's children. And, and I, I believe because I recall... They can, because they can pay for it. I believe I recall what they said when they discussed that argument. Right. Do, you, do you recall what they said? Well, I, I believe the answer to that question is... Uh, you can make it free for everyone. You don't have to means test you don't have education to. because we have a system of means testing that's called 
progressive taxation. Yeah, and also so they can have free college, but if they have if they're if they are if at the age of five, like Donald right. Trump, they have already have an income of a million dollars a year or whatever right. he had, they have to pay tax on that. And right, and and the other, a lot of tax, a lot of tax, and the other point being, and then they can have their free college. The, and what right. is the other, what exactly is the moral hazard correct. of giving them free college? The the other point being, David, they the already, horror. They, they already have free college right now. Because they already if we're talking about the one percent, right. that's right. The college everything doesn't is free mean anything to everything them. Everything is free. Everything is free. Everything <laughs> is a pittance. Right. So it doesn't matter. You're right. not we're not but, proposing but, putting them all up in cages only, and saying you can't live but anymore. Not only is does offering free college to everyone, including the wealthy, not create a moral hazard of any kind. Right. Which is what the sound of it is. But in fact, it's a positive good to have programs that are open to everyone in society from the very poor to the very wealthy because it fosters social cohesion. So we have social security for the wealthy who don't need it and for the poor who do need it. But it means that we're all in the same system, so everyone has a stake in that system, so everyone supports Social Security. Oh, you mean like... Theoretically. You mean like insurance? Yeah. You mean like national insurance? Yeah. You mean like... I was thinking about it... It's called national insurance. Yeah, and I was thinking about it earlier earlier today. Like, I mean, if we think about it, taxes are are pooling our money for national issues, right? Yes. Uh, State issues, you have state taxes, and you have federal taxes. And they are pulled for issues of state and national matters, and then we spend money on them. Right. That's all this would be. Right. That's all this or would be. Or to put it another way, you're, you're just in you're just paying for a great society. <coughs> Wait, David, has anybody coined that yet? A great society? No. Nobody. Never heard it. Okay, we're onto it. To put it another way, in this country, there are people who have health care, and there are people who don't have health care, right. and everyone's fighting over the scraps. To either get or deny someone else their health care. Right. In the UK, everyone has health care. Everyone is part of the NHS. That means that when the NHS is running out of money, everyone, including even the wealthy, have a stake in propping it up because they all use it. Right. Right. So, to summarize... Yes. <clears throat> in our five-paragraph essay on student loan debt, because uh, we want to swing it back and summarize yes. and, and restate our thesis adequately. We are in a crisis. We should call. We should be calling this a crisis. I think that's the first and most accurate thing It's an emergency. This. We it should have an emergency declaration. Oh, it's a state of emergency, David. Yes. Um, we are in a crisis in a state of emergency over student loan debt because, again, it's not because of the debt. It's because of the effects of the debt. The effects of the debt are currently crippling our economy in that our biggest spending uh, age group, our big you know, uh, disposable income group, has no disposable income because they're paying back these loans they can't pay back because these fake banks uh, funded by the federal government have been taking advantage of them and ripping them off for years completely unregulated. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
And now our entire economy has come to a standstill, contrary to whatever Donald Trump and all the people are talking about, right? Right. Um, So the only thing, the only sensible thing to get our economy moving again will be to forgive the debt, create free education universally, and what you just said, which I find fascinating, is that not only will this have an immediate economic impact, uh, you know, the likes of which we've never seen before, uh, certainly not since uh, the New Deal, but also just probably the greatest stimulus ever, um, giving, giving back 105 it's not, I don't want to say that. I was about to say giving back $1.5 trillion to 44 million Americans, but it's not. It's just removing this... The burden of paying removing, off 1.5 Removing this Sisyphean burden of paying off this debt. Right. right. Frees them up to actually have babies, buy houses, buy cars, live the American dream. But also that by then making college free going forward... Uh, we would be advancing these ideals that we've always held that um, that buying in as a society, right? Whenever we talk about Americans and whenever we talk about, like, pride and I'm struggling not to say nationalism, but, like, whenever we talk about being yes. a, a unified group, that we're, we are talking about being in a society or, as George would say, we're living in a society here. Like, that we're going to bring, it's not just about bringing ourselves up, it's about actually having investment in the thing itself. Having mutually shared investment in the thing itself. And that if we all have, like, an equal stake, I guess, in that thing, then we all have investment. So since none of us have a stake right now, none of us fucking care if it falls apart. Is that is that my understanding? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Cool. So, so then I think we have an answer. Absolutely. We all default on our debts tomorrow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> By which I mean... But everyone has to do it together. We, well, we, we, no, we'd, we'd, we'd have to do it together. But what I really mean is we... Uh, no, we, we have to forgive the debt. We have to forgive the debt and, and create a free education system. And that's the only way. And, and now, just, just so that our Fox News uh, listeners... Um, <coughs> Have have something to gripe about later. Has have do we have any other countries where this has ever worked before, David? Because it sounds like socialism, and we know for a fact that socialism has never worked before. Do we have any other countries where higher education, not just K through twelve, but higher education is free and universal? And do we have results of that being successful towards their economy and their society? Uh, I have the feeling that you've been studying this, so I think you know the answer. Well, I do, yes. <laughs> okay. I do. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's Denmark and Norway. Uh, what about I, Germany? Germany, uh, Germany, I think, yes. I also am going to throw in Finland there. I believe Switzerland has something approaching it. Um, no, I might be confusing Switzerland with Sweden. I'm sorry, I meant Sweden. Sweden's okay. where... Uh, who lives in Sweden that we know? Sarah? Sarah yeah. lives in Sweden, right? It's Sweden then. Not anymore. Not anyway, anymore. yes. So, yes, we do have, in other words, we do have examples of but do, but, multiple nations but wait, that make this work. But do we have 
examples of any other nations where students incur huge levels of debt that they can't pay off over many years in order to get a higher education? No, because we're number one, baby. Oh. It's never happened That's before. Good uh, That's good to know. It does not fucking exist outside right. of us. Right. Uh, congratulations. We're great again. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we hope that you have, well, not enjoyed this. I don't want anybody to enjoy this. This has been terrible. This has been literally the worst two hours of my life. Uh, just dissecting all the ways that, um, myself and an entire generation have been abused by, uh, everything we were ever taught as a child. Um, but, and by billionaires, but, uh, I do hope you learned something and I hope that you share this with, uh, everybody that you know and, um, everybody else that might be out there suffering to know that there, there is a way and there is a solution and it's a very simple solution and all we have to do is act on it. All we have to do is act and say, we're not going to fucking take this anymore and we need to change this entire system and it's, um, it's not about personal responsibility. That's the lie. That's the lie that everybody wants to tell you. It's about personal responsibility. It's about morals. It's about paying back what you owe. It's not about personal responsibility. It's about people stealing from you. And that's what's been happening. People have been stealing from you. And that should be illegal. And they have to stop it. So we have to stop it with policy. Uh, we have to forgive the debt. And we have to have free education. So call people. Write to your congresspeople. Call them. Vote for Bernie Sanders and uh, vote for AOC in... When's she going to be eligible? 2020. Oh, you mean no. president? Yeah. No, I don't know. Well, she's 28 now, so in seven years she'll be 35. That'll be 2026. There isn't an election that year, so 2028 she'll be eligible. Okay. Vote for AOC in 2028. Peace out, y'all. The Dull Crayons is a free and independent podcast supported by listeners like you. To show us support and keep us free, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dullcrayons and write into us at dullcrayons at gmail.com. Along with our hosts for this episode, we'd like to thank Jesse Katz and Gwen Gallitzer for the theme music and Colin Matthews for the logo.